Good evening, church. So lovely to see you here today. Just reminded of how blessed we are to be in the house of the Lord, to praise Him for all that He has done, to give thanks to Him. I want to read from Psalm 84, verses 10 to 12. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the Lord. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk his ways. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts me. Isn't it wonderful to just be so loved by God who is faithful? His promises is true. He loves us more than we are. Shall we all rise? Let us give our thanks and praise to the God who is worthy of it all.
sing our next song together.
As a church, we come every weekend and we gather as God's people. And part of what we do when we gather is that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let me read the words of Jesus from John chapter 6, verse 47 onwards. Listen to what He says. He says, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Whenever I read this passage, it always reminds me of what happened with the Roman Catholic Church 500 years ago. Because 500 years ago, before the Reformation, what they believed about the Lord's Supper is that the bread and wine that we take during the Lord's Supper actually turns into the actual body and blood of Christ. And therefore, they treated the Lord's Supper very, very sacredly, so sacred, in fact, that really only the worthy are allowed to take the Lord's Supper. And so some people, they only dare to take the Lord's Supper only once a year. And so what happens many times is that the people, as they come to church, and as they celebrate the Lord's Supper, they'll be just sitting there watching the priest in front of them take the Lord's Supper. Why? Because, well, we are not worthy. You are not worthy. And when they do come out and take the Lord's Supper, usually it's only the bread, not the wine. Because, well, what happens if you accidentally spill the wine? Well, you're spilling the blood of Christ. You can't have that. But the Reformation happens and the Gospel is rediscovered because that's the point of the Gospel, isn't it? Where Jesus has come and He has made us worthy. Because in the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is that we are eating and feasting upon the bread that gives life. The bread that came from heaven. Jesus, our living bread. He is the one who gave us life eternal. Later on, later on in the passage, he comes and says, we must drink of his blood to have life in us. And what he means by eating his flesh and drinking his blood is really to believe in him, to believe in God the Father, sending him to do his will, seeking and saving the lost. And Jesus has come. He has sought, he has saved the lost by having his body broken for us, crucified for us, his blood shed for us on the cross. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, it's not about who is worthy or not, because we are all unworthy. But Jesus makes us worthy by His sacrifice on the cross. This is living bread that came down from heaven that anyone may eat, anyone may believe and not die. So it's not limited to an exclusive group, but 
offered to people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Jesus Christ is the living bread for everyone and anyone who will believe in Him. And so this evening as we come, as we take the Lord's Supper as a church, as God's people, we're declaring and we are saying as we do that is that we believe in this Jesus. We believe in this living bread who gives us eternal life through His death, through His resurrection. This living bread will sustain us just like just like how physical bread sustains us physically, this living bread sustains us spiritually. It sustains and nourishes our faith. And so when we take the Lord's Supper this evening, we remember the love of the Father in sending us His Son who loved us, gave Himself for us, and sending us His Spirit to be our counselor, comforter. So this evening as we do this, be reminded, remember, what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let me say a quick prayer before we come forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our living bread, that he has come and given his life for us to make us worthy to stand before you, not because of what we have done, but because of his death and resurrection. And this evening, as your people, as we come forward and receive the elements, the bread and the wine, may we take it in faith believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In His name we pray. Amen. This is uh, something that is reserved for those who call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. If you're here, you're not a Christian, we ask that you remain seated. But as always, as I read this, this living bread is for everyone and anyone who believe in Jesus. And for those of us who are Christians, who call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, this is our opportunity to worship Him. Let me invite the first few rows to stand to make your way forward to receive the communion elements. Please hold the bread, hold the cup. We will partake of them together at the end.
This is the bread of life, the body of Jesus given to us. Let's take together. And this is the blood of Christ shared for us. Let's drink together. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. As always, we thank you and praise you for what he has done for us. Help us as a people to continue singing praises to him and be reminded of his goodness and his grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we all rise? Shall we sing our next song of praise?
Father, we praise you for who you are, for your faithfulness. You are a God who loves us more than we know. You are sovereign, and your plans for us is for the good. Fill our hearts, Lord, with insight into the hope secured for us by Jesus, a living hope, a hope of glory, an anchor of certainty in times of trouble and hardships. Through your spirit, help us to trust you more and to love you more each day so we may walk faithfully and humbly with you. Amen. Before we take a seat, please say hello to the person next to you. Thank you so much to the um, to the music team that's taken us through some really beautiful songs there. And a very warm welcome to all of us who are here today. I think I see in the crowd a group of people who don't usually join us on a Saturday at 5 p.m., so an especially warm welcome to you. Um, now is time for Scripture at Subi. If you don't uh, know what Scripture at Subi is or if you haven't joined us uh, for long enough, Scripture at Subi is a time in a service where we memorize Bible verses together and we do this each month. We have a new verse each month. This year, we're focusing on the attributes of God that Scripture reveals to us. So we're going through the Book of Romans in a Roman series this, um, this year. And so we are memorizing a verse from Romans this month. So that's going to come up just behind me, and we'll say this together. All right, let's go. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Beautiful. Thanks for joining me with that. And kids, it's now time to, for you to go to your Subi Kids classes. Another very warm welcome. Um, to Subi Church, my name is Kanaina, and I'm a member of staff here. We'd love to get to know you better as well, especially if you haven't um, been joining us a lot. You'll find connect cards on your seats. You can fill those in. You can use these to RSVP and to get in touch with um, the ministry team here at Subi Church. You'll also find QR codes in various places in the auditorium and outside. You can put that into your phone and submit that online. As part of our worship to God here at Subi Church is the giving of our offering. And we do this with joy. We do this with thanksgiving to God because of what he has done for us in Christ Jesus. So if you'd like to be a part of this, if you'd like to do this, um, you can give a physical offering. There's an offering box just in the back of the auditorium. Otherwise, an online giving is possible as well. Uh, just talk to anybody with a red lanyard uh, for how to do that. So let's take a moment to pray together for our offering. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your generosity towards us. Thank you for all that we have in and through you. Most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is alone the living way of salvation and through whom we have fellowship with you, our heavenly father. We ask that you bless our givings, that they may be used wisely to your glory and in love towards those in need and towards those in need of Jesus. All this we pray. Amen. All right, we have some upcoming events at Subi Church, and the first one will be the Hour of Prayer, and that's happening this Wednesday, 7 p.m. in the Church Cafe. This is a great time for us to come together as a church family to pray. 
And we have so much to pray about, and we've been encouraged to see so many people come to the hour of prayer um, over the past couple of months. So if you'd, like to, if you'd like to join us, if you'd like to join us as a church family to pray, you can do that this Wednesday, 7 p.m. in the church cafe. Next will be the men's ministry breakfast, and that's coming up on Saturday, 19th of August. I think that's next Saturday. And that starts at 8 a.m., and also that's in the church cafe. And this is an invitation to all men in Suwi Church to have a breakfast with Al Stewart. Al is the author of the book called The Manual. Um, and that Saturday, he'll be speaking on getting masculinity right. So there is a small cost of $10, and you'll be served with, um, I hear it's going to be a, a nice bread. Um, yeah, so there is a small cost of $10, um, but also it would be really helpful if you could RSVP to this event so we know how much to cater for, so please put that onto your Connect card and pop that into the Connect card box in the back of the auditorium. Lastly, on the last Sunday of this month, on the 27th of August, will be the City to Surf. Um, so please note that on that Sunday, if you're planning on coming to a Sunday service, we will be running our 9 a.m. and 10.45 services as usual, but please note that there's going to be road closures. So we ask that you prepare and that you plan ahead. If you head, on, if you head to the City to Surf website, you'll find the whole list of road closures there. And the road closures are going to be the whole morning, I think, from 8 a.m. to about 12 p.m., so we want to be prepared for that. All right, that's all the announcements that we have this week. Um, just before we go into God's word, let's, let's, um, let's take this time to come to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful that we can come to you as your people to worship you. As we enter into your presence to hear you speak from your word, may we receive the outpouring of your grace that refreshes our souls. We come as people who are full of sin, knowing that we can only approach you because of the great sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. We pray that you will cover all our sins once more through the death and the resurrection of Christ. We pray that you will make us into a people who love one another deeply, just as Christ has loved us. By the grace given to us, help us not to think too highly of ourselves, but rather help us to serve each other with the gift that you have given us. Help us to serve as one body of Christ. We pray for those of us who are visiting for the first time and those who have come back to church after a length of time. We pray that they are blessed as we witness and join with the praises of God's people. May our hearts be lifted up towards Christ as we hear from your word and that we will continue to be a part of this weekly gathering. We pray also for those of us who are regularly a part of this gathering. May we ever be glad and thankful to be given this great blessing. We pray for the continued renewal of our souls away from our past sinful nature into the perfect sinless nature in the new creation. Prepare our hearts to receive your word this day. May your spirit work powerfully through Pastor David as he preaches your word to touch our hearts transform our minds and motivate our hands. As your people today, we want to pray as Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. I invite our Bible reader to come up. Good evening, everyone. Tonight's Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 21. If you are able to, I invite you to stand with me as we read from God's word. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
You may now take a seat. Good evening, church. It's great to see you this evening. If you're new or visiting, special warm welcome to you. My name is David, one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, we hope that your time with us is a blessed one. And if you are looking for a church home, we'd love you to consider making Subi Church your church home. Northwest Airlines Flight 255 crashed just after taking off from Detroit Airport, killing all 155 passengers and crew on board. Or so it was thought. Incredibly, one passenger survived the crash. A four-year-old girl named Cecilia. Uh, the rescue fireman that found her, he said, I heard that faint cry a baby doll makes. And I looked, and there was this small arm kind of bent, sticking out of a chair. Now, Cecilia recounted to the rescue workers how she survived. As the plane was falling, her mother unbuckled her own seatbelt, got down in her, on her knees in front of Cecilia, and then wrapped her arms and her body around her, covered her, and did not let go. Nothing could separate Cecilia from her mother's love. Not tragedy or disaster, not the fire or the fall, not life nor death. You and I are like that survivor, Cecilia. You and I were, morally speaking, we were spiraling down to disaster because of our sin. But God, in his great love, came down from his heavenly throne to our level and he covered us with the sacrifice of his own body on the cross, saving us from the fall. What love, what mercy, what, what grace. And how are we to respond to this sweet, tender mercy? Well, in our passage, Romans chapter 12, it tells us to respond in three ways. All right? The gospel tells us to respond in three ways. Firstly, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Have a look with me in chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Uh, when someone asks you, how are you? How do you normally answer? I normally say, not bad. Uh, that's it. That's like us Australians. We don't tell you how we are. We tell you how we're not. How are you? Not bad. What you been doing? Not much. Where is this place? Not far. Well, but the truest answer that you can give as a Christian when someone says, how are you, is to say, God has been incredibly kind to me. He has poured out his love and mercy upon me. Now, you might be going through a really difficult situation right now. You might be going through a really difficult relationship. You might hate your work. You might have a really worrying health issue. But still, the truest answer you can give is God has been incredibly kind to me. Always keep in view God's mercy to you in the gospel. The gospel is the, op is the opposite to religion. Religion says, do this, do this, do this. God will accept you. The gospel says, 
God accepts you fully in Jesus Christ. You see, religion is outside in. It's behavior modification. The gospel is inside out. When I in my heart, know in my heart that God has, has accepted me freely by his mercy, then I obey out of inner joy and gratitude. Religion motivates by fear and insecurity. The gospel motivates by joy and gratitude. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, many religions around the world require their adherents to offer sacrifices. Uh, did you know the, the island of Bali? Who's been to Bali? Yep. Who's been more than 20 times? Yep. Um, so... You know the island of Bali, which so many West Australians go to, it's, it, it means island of offerings. And if you, if you, you don't have to be there very, very long to work out why. Uh, the Balinese, every morning, and often every afternoon and every evening as well, they, they offer these elaborate offerings uh, in front of their houses, in front of uh, the temple, uh, in front of their shops. You, can, you see them in the middle of the road. And devotees spend large chunks of their day preparing these offerings. And then, plus, plus that, you have all these elaborate offerings for their festival days. The sacred Hindu writings say this, Anyone who offers to me, this is one of the Hindu gods, leaves, flowers, fruits or water, offerings based on love and coming from the bottom of a pure heart, I accept. Now, as spiritual as this may sound, this is not the kind of offering, not the kind of worship that pleases God. What is? Offering your body as a living sacrifice. That is what pleases God. Now, what does that mean? Uh, we looked at a bit of this last week. We were all born, remember, Romans has told us, we were all born... In the old age of Adam, characterized by sin and death, and if you're a Christian, you've been transferred to the new realm of Christ, characterized by life and righteousness. But that, and this transfer is a real transfer, but it's a spiritual transfer. Our bodies are still in the old age. And so we have this overlap. Spiritually, we're in the new age. Physically, we're in the old age. And so worship that pleases God is to conduct ourselves as those who are living in this new age of righteousness, which means offering our bodies in absolute obedience to him. Christian worship does not consist of sacred rites at sacred sites at sacred times, but it's about worshipping God at all times in all places. How is the body a living sacrifice? Let the eye look on no evil thing and it has become a sacrifice. Let the tongue speak nothing filthy, and it has become an offering. Let your hand do no lawless thing, and it has become a whole burnt offering. Worship means giving God his full worth and value. Right? Uh, often our singing is labeled as our worship time. And of course, it is our worship time, but it's just a small part of worship. Worship is all of life. Driving your car according to the speed limit is your worship of God. Not fudging your taxes is your worship of God. 
Turning off the TV, closing the website when something inappropriate comes on is your worship of God. True and proper worship is offering our bodies to God in absolute obedience. A woman said to me, a young woman said to me once, does God really care what we do with our bodies? I mean, what, what does he care who I sleep with? How would you answer that? He cares very much. Because we saw in chapter 8 that God's great plan from before the beginning of time is to provide his son, Christ, with a family of brothers and sisters who are imprinted with his likeness. What did Christ do? He worshipped God in absolute obedience. And we are to do the same. How are you going with that? The second response to the gospel that we see in this passage is that we are to renew your mind. You are to renew your mind. Have a look with me in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Imagine right now you have some Play-Doh in your hand. All right? You've got some play So everyone take out your Play-Doh. You've got a handful of Play-Doh. Yep. Imagine you've got some Play-Doh in your hand. Get your hand out. Now I want you to roll it into a ball. Can you do that for me? Roll it into a nice ball, and then I want you to squeeze it. Squeeze it hard. What happens? It probably looks something like this. That's what happens to most people in the world. They get squeezed by, molded by, the influences of the world, by the world's patterns of behavior. But as Christians, we're no longer to be molded into the pattern of the old age. We're not in the old age anymore. We live in the new age. We're to resist the pressure of the influences of the old age. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, our mindset, our minds, it's the lens through which we see and interpret the world. Uh, many people think that the only problem with the human mind is that it doesn't have access to all the knowledge that it needs. So education is the answer. If we, just, if we were just better educated, we wouldn't have all the problems that we have with drug addiction, gambling, climate change, unwanted pregnancy. And of course, education is important. But the Bible says that the problem with our minds is not that they are finite and don't have all the knowledge they need, but that they are fallen and they need transformation. A renewed mind means our thinking is turned upside down by the gospel. The gospel is now the lens through which we see and interpret the world. We've looked at the inside-out nature of the gospel. Now it's the upside-down nature of the gospel. You see, the gospel is upside-down to the way that we naturally think. God, who is the greatest of all, became the least of all. God, who is the king, became a servant. God won by losing everything. God, who is rich beyond measure, became poor. That is the complete reversal of the world's way of thinking, which values power, recognition, wealth, status. A renewed mind is one that is turned upside down by the upside down gospel. I'll give you an example. As Christians, most of us will have to make 
these three decisions in life. Where I'm going to live, what job I'm going to do, what church I'm going to go to, what I'm going to be involved in to serve the Lord, right? And normally, we, uh, most people would think this way. Well, I'm going to get the job that pays the most. Right? I want the job that pays the most. And then I'm going to find a house and get the max out on my mortgage and get as much money as the bank will lend me because of the job that I've got. And then thirdly, after I've done that, I'm going to decide how God wants to use me, what church to go to and what ministry to be involved in. But the gospel turns that completely upside down. The gospel would say, firstly, think about how does the Lord want to use me in this life? What ministry does he want me to be involved in? Once I decide that, I'm then going to find a house that's going to allow me to do that ministry that God wants me to do. And once I've done that, I'm going to find a job that funds the house so that I can do the ministry that God wants me to do. A renewed mind is one that is turned upside down by the upside down gospel. Now, have you known people who accepted Jesus, but they still behave the same way as they did when they were saved? Years have passed, but nothing has changed. Their mindset has not been renewed by the gospel. So you don't automatically lose your old habits of thinking and acting as soon as you become a Christian. And our mindsets are not automatically renewed just because we've been a Christian a certain number of years. No, our mindset has got to be renewed by the gospel. You've got to pour yourself in the scriptures. You've got to soak yourself in the gospel so that your mind is renewed. You can be a Christian without having the mind of Christ, without having a renewed mind. You need to soak yourself in the gospel. Christian progress is not possible. If you're thinking, how am I going to grow as a Christian? Let me tell you, Christian progress is not possible. Christian progress will not happen unless your mind is renewed by the upside-down gospel. If your mindset's not renewed by the gospel, you're going to remain the same as the years pass by. Five years will pass by, Ten years will pass by and the same experiences will perpetuate themselves over and over again. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. God says, I want you to think the way that I think. I want you to see the world that I, as the way I see the world through the lens of the gospel and then, and then, you will know how to live the way that I want you to live. Are you renewing your mind? Are you soaking yourself in the gospel, the upside-down gospel? The third response we see is that as a response to the gospel, we should see a relationships revolution in our lives, in our church. Uh, as you read through the book of Romans, you'll notice that there were divisions and disputes in the church to the extent that the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians were no longer eating together. Now, eating together is such a fundamental expression of fellowship that you can imagine what a deep and visible rift this caused in the church. 
Paul is desperate for the church to be unified. How is the church going to be unified? By them understanding the upside-down gospel. Verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. See, the upside-down gospel revolutionizes our thinking, so we don't think of ourselves highly, but we think of Christ highly. We are sinners saved by grace. That removes all pride. We don't have to be right all the time. And so that type of person can overcome disputes and divisions, right? For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So individual Christians are part of a greater whole. Yeah? The local church, the body of Christ. You and I, we are part of a, a greater whole, the body of Christ, which we call Subi Church. And just as your body has different parts, right, with different functions... So this church body has different parts with different functions. You need different parts. You need different functions. There'd be no point having four hands rather than two hands and two feet. How could you play football with four hands? You couldn't, right? And if you had four feet, how could you do up your shoelaces? You wouldn't be able to. You need different parts in the body for the body to function optimally. Now, God has given each one of us different gifts that we contribute to the church body to build it up. And each of us has a responsibility to serve the other. You don't want to be the appendix of the body, do you? You know, no, no one knows you're there until you start causing trouble. You don't want to be the tonsils of the church, do you? The church is better off without you. And you don't want to be the backside of the church, just sitting around and not serving. No, we are to be part of the church body that serves. Which part of the body of Christ are you? How do you know the answer? Well, look around each weekend. Look around and see how you might serve. On the weekend, during all our ministries, during the week, we have so many ministries. Look around and see what you can do to serve. And if you can do that, that is the part of the body that you are. Some people say, hey, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. But the church is the bride of Christ. So that would be like saying to your mate, Mate, I think you're great, but I can't stand your wife. Oh, my goodness. What kind of relationship could you have with your friend if you roll your eyes every time you see his wife? How we love the church is a measure of how we love Jesus. We love Jesus, who we can't see, by loving our brothers and sisters, who we can see. Take a look around you. These are your brothers and sisters. Aren't your brothers and sisters gorgeous? Yeah? And guess what? We're going to spend eternity with each other. Now, you might think it's an eternity just listening to me for half an hour, but we're actually going to be with each other for an eternity. You can't have God as your father without having your brothers and sisters, the church as your brothers and sisters. And we're to serve each other as Christ served us. 
What's your attitude to church? Oh, I don't feel like going this weekend. I'm not going to go. Or, I don't feel like going this weekend. But I've got to go, because I've got to go and serve my brothers and sisters. It's my responsibility. I want to go and give God his full worth and value. It's my conviction that missing church or small group should be the exception rather than the norm. Paul says later in the, in the chapter, do not be lazy in your zeal. He's saying, let's not shirk our responsibility to God or each other. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. Um, because each of us are members of the church body, we have at Subi Church what we call church membership, which is a formal commitment to serve Subi Church with your time, your treasures, your talent. If you're not yet a formal member, can I encourage you to become a member? Uh, what we're doing is that we're introducing some membership classes. This is new to Subi Church. We're going to be introducing them in October. You come along, hear about the importance of church, the distinctives of our church. What does it mean to be a mature disciple? So if you're not yet a member, we'd love you to come to those classes. If you have been a become a member recently, come to the classes as well. If you've been a member a long time, come to the classes because these are new. In the final few verses, Paul lists a catalogue of short instructions about how to relate to God, how to relate to each other, how to relate to the outside world. It's like one after the other. It's like reading Proverbs. It's one after the other. And we're not going to go through them all, but what I want you to, what I want you to, to note is... Notice the contrast between the lives of those who live in the new age, here in chapter 12, and the lives of those who live in the old age, in chapter 1. All right? So, we were all born into the old realm. Romans 1 lists what we were like. And then Romans 12, we're in the new realm. This is what we're to be like. So, we were heartless but now we are to be loving. We were approving of evildoers, now we're to hate evil. We were God-haters, now we're to serve the Lord. We were arrogant and boastful, but now we're not to be proud or conceited. We used to live in strife, but now we're to live in harmony and peace. We used to live in malice, but now we're to repay no one evil for evil. Can you see the contrast? Those who lived in the old age live that way. We're not in the old age. We are in the new age. Our way of life is revolutionary different. An atheist historian called Tom Holland, anyone heard of him? Not the, not the Spider-Man, but this is a, uh, a historian. He's an atheist, but this is what he said. He said, while studying the ancient world, Holland writes, he realized something. Simply, the ancients were cruel and their values utterly foreign to him. The Spartans routinely murdered imperfect children. The bodies of slaves were treated like outlets for the physical pleasure of those with power. Infanticide was common. The poor and the weak had no rights. It has not remotely been a given across the reaches of space and time that people are of equal value. These are convictions which instead bear witness to the most enduring and influential legacy of the ancient world, a revolution in values that has proven 
transformative like nothing else in history, Christianity. In our Western culture today, we champion the weak, the poor, and the marginalized. But why? Where did this notion come from? We can't appeal to Mother Nature or to the animal kingdom. Animal behavior in society are brutally hierarchical. I can't appeal to this being hardwired into us as part of our evolutionary instincts, because even if this was true in the past, why should it continue to be true for me, the individual, in the present? How did we get from there to here? Christianity. This is an atheist historian who sees the change. It was when Christianity came to us. There's no denying it. The gospel creates a new kind of community of people who humbly live out an entirely transformed way of being human. That is the community that we are a part of. just want to finish with a couple more verses. Have a look in verse 19. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Four times in this passage, you you would notice, we are called on to seek the good of our enemies. Now, hating your enemies is characteristic of living in the old age, isn't it? Where by nature we repaid evil for evil, we hit back, we, we took revenge. But we've been transferred to the new age, the new age of mercy. And who's transferred us? The one who did not retaliate when he was beaten, the one who did not threaten when he suffered, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we were his enemies, God saved us. And we are to treat our enemies as God treated us with mercy and grace. Now, Jesus didn't say that would be easy. Now, what does heap burning coals on his head mean? That sounds a little vengeful, doesn't it, when you first read it? It it sounds like an act of vengeance. But no, I did a bit of research. uh, And it seems to be a metaphor which can be traced back to an ancient ritual in which a person guilty of wrongdoing, would carry a pan of burning coals on their head to symbolize that they were burning with shame. And it was a sign of repentance. And so acting kindly towards our enemies is a means of leading them to burn with shame because of their conduct towards us. And hopefully that will lead to them repenting and coming back to know the Lord or coming to know the Lord. Final verse. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Uh, Mother Teresa was once asked a question by an interviewer. She was asked, what do you think is the biggest problem in the world? How would you answer that? She said, we draw the circle of our family too small. We need to draw it larger every day. There was a a couple named Steve and Julie. They had four kids. Their youngest kid, Jack, got uh, got very unwell, and he had to go to hospital for repeated admissions for extended periods of time. 
uh, he didn't want his mother to leave. And so the father was left with the other kids, but the father had a job that meant he, tra- he travelled all over the, the world and he didn't have a very understanding boss. And so what happened was that their small group stepped in to look after their responsibilities, or the responsibilities that they couldn't manage. So their small group uh, formed a team that would go in the mornings and would get the kids ready for school and take them to school. One of the men in the small group offered to drive uh, the husband, Steve, to work every day, which was an hour commute, so he could either sleep or do his work or, or uh, read his Bible. A food roster was started so that Steve and Julie would have more time to spend with their other three kids. See, the church family adjust their lives for a time in order to love their brothers and sisters. That is a relationship revolution. A church shaped by grace is a remarkable place. A church where the kindness of God sets the tone for everything that is done. And God's desire is that our church would be like that. Would you like to be a part of a church like that? As we finish, I just want to invite Susan Richards up. She's going to give us a brief story that she heard just a little while ago that's going to really fit into this theme so well. Susan. Yes, two weeks ago, I was at the Pregnancy Problem House PPH dinner. This church so generously gave over 30 uh, baby car seats to and a lot of other things, very generous. At our table was a lovely woman. And years ago when she was a teen, um, she was a teen when I was, she fell pregnant and she was scared as many find themselves in the situation, really anxious, confused, not knowing what to do. She was given an ultimatum by her family to lose the baby or be kicked out of their home, which made it even more anxious. A pastor and his wife, actually friends of mine, took her into their own home and supported her as if she was one of their own children. She gave birth to a healthy baby and she, to this very day, is still supported by that family and feels like a member of that family. And through that baby, she now has grandchildren. She's very passionate about that ministry and is still serving in it to this day, um, helping this family reach many others like she was hurting. And uh, for those of you who don't know my gospel brother, it's actually his family uh, that have been running this ministry. And this church was a generous part of supporting them as they helped the hurting. Thanks for listening. A church shaped by grace is a remarkable place. So how do we respond to the gospel? Three ways. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. Renew your mind. And have your relationships revolutionized. And if you're not yet a member, come to our membership class. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. Such sweet, tender mercy, Lord, and we want to respond in the way that you ask us to respond. Help us, Lord, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, our bodies as a living sacrifice. For those of us who are struggling with sin right now, Lord, fill us with your spirit so we can overcome that and put that behind us. Help us to live out our lives 
every moment of every day in worship of you. Father, help our minds to be renewed by the gospel, by the upside-down gospel, so that we don't, our patterns in our lives are not perpetuated year after year. But as our minds are turned upside down by the upside-down gospel, help us to see how you would have us live. And Lord, we pray for the relationships in our lives. We pray for this church. We pray that this church would be shaped by grace, that kindness would set the tone for all of church life. Help us not to draw the circle of our family too small, but to draw it larger every day and to be involved serving our brothers and sisters around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Dave for the sermon. What a great reminder that we are one church, one body of Christ. We are here to serve one another, to count others greater than ourselves, to love one another, to love others more than we love ourselves. So shall we all rise? Let us sing this one final song tonight. There is one gospel.
Can I encourage all the men, next Saturday morning, we've got a great men's breakfast. So women, kick out your significant other on Saturday morning. Now, this is actually a rare opportunity. Our steward, our speaker, does not come over west very often. Uh, and he's fresh off publishing a book. So he's going to be speaking about how to get, make, how to get masculinity right. Uh, the, the, the menu on the morning is great. Uh, and so it'd be a great opportunity to hear from the word, rub shoulders with the other men in the church. So next Saturday morning, an opportunity not to be missed. I'm going to, uh, you're free to leave, but if you would like to stay, we're going to have about a five minute recess, but if those who need to go, go. But if you would like to stay, we do have a baptism, not just one, six baptisms from our Chinese church ministry. Uh, and so that will be happening in about five minutes' time. So if you'd like to get a coffee and come back, if you have to go, we understand. Uh, but uh, because there's six, it may take a little bit of time. We didn't want you to, um, to hold you back, but it's going to be great. Uh, and so uh, we're going to do that in a few moments. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I pray that each of us would keep in view your mercy to us. And that would shape all we do this week and in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.